This is Dina Weiss for Hadar on Parashat Ekev, the bread of affliction. Moshe is preparing the Jewish people to enter into the land of Israel, required easing them emotionally and psychologically into a completely different way of life. Moshe makes sure to tell them what to expect, contrasting the experience they have become accustomed to in the wilderness with the life they are soon to confront in the Holy Land. One of the features of life in the wilderness, which will shift when they settle into the land, is that God will no longer provide the people with man, the mysterious and miraculous food that rained down for them each day when they were in the desert. Moshe mentions the man twice in this week's Parsha, and both times he makes it clear that the man was a very mixed blessing, designed to be instructional at best, punitive at worst. First, Moshe says, He afflicted you by letting you hunger and by feeding you with man with which neither you nor your ancestors were acquainted, in order to make you understand that one does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Know then in your heart that as a parent disciplines a child, so Hashem your God disciplines you. And 10 verses later, Moshe continues, God, who led you through the great and terrible wilderness, an arid wasteland with poisonous snakes and scorpions, he made water flow for you from flint rock and fed you in the wilderness with man that your ancestors did not know to humble you and to test you, to benefit you in the end. Moshe describes the wilderness as a treacherous place, a place where B'nai Yisrael were entirely dependent on God for food, water, and protection. But the vulnerability is not what was most difficult about it. What was most difficult was that God used this power to afflict us, leman anotecha, and to test us, leman nasotecha to see if we would be obedient, to see if we were deserving of benefit and reward. The double-edged nature of the man as a tremendous gift and stressful burden is well documented in the text of the Torah and is expanded in Midrashic literature. But why does God feed us in a way that is so challenging? Why does he make us suffer as he provides for and protects us? Why was God lording his power over us in this way? What can we learn from this insecure arrangement, and how might it be avoided? According to the description of the man, gathering it was a labor-intensive activity that had to be repeated every day. Any attempt to hoard the man and to save it for more than a day was punished with worms and rot in the food already collected. It is this seemingly unnecessary challenge that piques the curiosity of the students of Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, and inspired him to propose an answer for why the man was delivered in this inconvenient way. Sha'alu Tamidav at Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai. 
מי שיש לו ארבעה וחמישה בנים, היה דואג ואומר, שמא לא ירד מן למחר. ונמצאו כולן מתים ברעב. נמצאו כולן מכוונים את ליבם לאביהם שבשמיים. רבי שמעון בר יוחאי's students asked him, Why did the man come down to Israel one time each year? רבי שמעון בר יוחאי responded, I will share with you a parable. To what is this analogous? To a king of flesh and blood. who has one son. He distributed his son's food once a year, and his son only saw his father's face just one time per year. So he goes and distributes his son's food every day, and the son sees his father's face each day. So too with Israel. One who has a family of four or five children would worry and say, maybe the man will not come down tomorrow, and all of us will die from hunger. In that way, it turned out that everyone would direct their hearts to their Father in heaven. According to Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, God doesn't allow us to store man for the future because our need for food creates an occasion for us to communicate with him. God creates this daily dependence which generates daily prayer, the frequent encounters with us that God so desires. And while this model may be effective, as the son in the story does report to his father each day, The downsides are readily apparent. Is this the way that we want to be encouraged to speak with God? Through emotional manipulation? Is there no better way? The relationship between prayer, starvation, and food is strongest in the laws and stories around the public fasts, which are undertaken during periods of severe drought. And it is in Masechet Ta'anit, which elaborates these customs, that we find a very different model. רב, איקלה להאו אטרא, גזר תעניתא ולא אטא מיטרא. נחית קמי שליחא דציבורא, אמר משיב הרוח, ונשב זיקא. אמר מרית הגשם, ואטא מיטרא. אמר לי, מה יובטח? אמר לי, מקרי דרדקי אנא, ומקרינה לבני עניי כבני עתירי. וכל דלא אפשר לי, לא שקלנה מיני מידי. ואית לי פירא דחברי, וכל מן דפשה, משאחדינא לי מנאיהו, ומסדרינן לי, ומפייסינן לי, עד דעתי וקרי. רב went to a certain place. He declared a public fast, but rain did not come. The prayer leader began to pray in Rav's presence, and said, Who causes the wind to blow? And the wind blew. Who causes the rain to fall? And the rain came. Rav said to him, What do you do? The prayer leader said to Rav, I am a teacher of young children, and I teach the children of the poor like the children of the rich, and I do not take anything from whoever is unable to pay. I have a pond of fish, and I bribe anyone who misbehaves with the fish, and I arrange things in a way that appeases the student until they come and read. The hero of this story is not Rav, the powerful and learned rabbi. Rav was not able to convince God to open up the heavens and release the rain. 
The hero of this story is a poor elementary school teacher whose request God heeds almost immediately. One way of reading this story is that God is responding to the merit of this great man and kind teacher. But Rav is also a great man, and God appears to be entirely unimpressed with him. So a deeper reading of the story suggests that this man's behavior inspires God to change God's own strategy. God is trying to get us to behave, to pay attention to him by threatening us, by bringing drought and bringing us desperately to our knees. But the kind teacher provides a different model, showing that you can induce better behavior through kindness. He demonstrated that you can inspire a student to learn out of affection and a desire to please, rather than from fear of punishment. God is moved, perhaps even taught by this great teacher, to shift himself from manipulating through threats to encouraging with love. In the parable that Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai constructed, the king trains his son to visit by tying his access to food to seeing his father. Analogously, God makes us needy so that we will reach out to him. But the passage in Ta'anid highlights that in deciding how to discipline and teach, God takes his cues from us. Before the king began to train his son by withholding his bread, the son trained the king by withholding his presence. The son showed that he would only come to the palace when he needed something, so the king increased the son's needs. But if the son had showed up anyway, had called up his dad to say, hi, just to say thank you, then the king would have felt free to give his son his allotment on a yearly basis. Because the king feels insecure, he feels like he has no choice but to make his son feel insecure. God starves us for bread because God himself is starved for affection. If we did not deprive God of our attention, then God would have no need and no incentive to deprive us. This is the real lesson of the man. According to many Midrashim, man has a number of miraculous properties, including the ability to be transformed according to the nature of the one who eats it. The man would taste sweeter for a child and more substantive for an adult. The man would fall closer to the homes of the righteous and fall further away from the homes of the rebellious. And the man would also come down as raw ingredients for those who did not please God. But for those who were deserving, it would come down as freshly baked bread. What all of these miraculous elements taken together serve to illustrate is that the man's most salient attribute is that it functions as a mirror. It reflects and tells the story about the one who eats it. This is also true about the timing of the man and the fact that it fell once a day. Yes, this periodicity could make a person very anxious, not knowing with certainty that bread would rain again and not be able to save for tomorrow. But the daily bread was not something that all people experienced in the same way. As the Mechilta explains, Devar Yom Biyomo, Rabbi Elazar Hamodai Omer, Kedei Shelo Yilaket Adam Mehayom Lemachar, Kein Me'erv Shabbat L'Erv Shabbat, Shen'emar Devar Yom Biyomo. Mi Shabara Yom Bara Parnasato, Mi Kan Haya Rabbi Elazar Hamodai Omer, Kol mi sheyesh lo ma yochal hayom, 
ואומר, מה אוכל למחר? הרי זה מחוסר אמנה, שנאמר למען אנוסנו, הילך בתורתי אם לא. A day's worth for each day. רבי אלעזר המודעי says, in order that a person not collect today for tomorrow, the way that one does on Friday for Shabbat, as it says, a day's worth for each day. The one who created the day created the day's sustenance. From here, Rabbi Elazar Hamodai would say, anyone who has what to eat today and says, what will I eat tomorrow, is lacking in faith. As it says, in order to probe if you will follow my instructions or not. According to Rabbi Elazar Hamodai, a person who has bread for today, but does not yet have bread for tomorrow, has a choice on what to focus on. She can focus on having gratitude for today's bread, or she could focus on being anxious about the food for tomorrow. By nature, our prayers of panic come quicker than our praise. God knows that the easiest way to get us to communicate with him is to hit us, because we have established the pattern of only crying out when we feel pain. It is on us to shift the paradigm, to call on God just to talk, just to say thank you, just to try to keep the relationship strong. We need to prove to God that he can spare the rod and that we will nevertheless remain unspoiled. When Rav Nachman of Horadencha was living in the land of Israel, he had a dream which contained this teaching. There are doctors who heal through a bitter elixir, but the doctors who heal with a sweet elixir are much better. God could teach us equally well through penalties or through incentives, but it is much more pleasant for us to learn through receiving little fish to play with and eat, rather than going to bed hungry and uncertain about tomorrow. Not only is it more pleasant, but it teaches us to truly love and obey God, not because we have to, but because we want to. The lesson and the test of the man is that the choice of how we teach and how we are taught, whether through sweetness or its opposite, is actually ours to make. Often, we get locked into unhealthy dynamics which reinforce themselves. Your superior gives you overly specific instructions, so you don't feel like you can take initiative and be creative. Your supervisor never sees you take initiative, so she thinks you need highly specific instructions. Every time you call your father, he complains that you don't call often enough. You don't call more often because you don't like being yelled at for not calling. In order to break out of these cycles, we need to recognize them, and we need to realize the way that we participate in them, even if we have not created them. And the longer the patterns persist, the harder it is to change them. The longer the patterns persist, the harder it is for us to notice that things could be another way, and the harder it is for us to feel empowered to change them. The man teaches us that we can change these dynamics. We can trade penalties for positive reinforcement, and fear for love. Wishing you a Shabbat with the bread of affection. Shabbat Shalom. Thank you for listening to our weekly Debray Torah. To see more from our archive, please visit hadar.org slash Torah.